Hey, Michael. Hey, what's up? You ever tried ramen before? You know, I've actually made some important life decisions based on ramen. Have you now? All right. I have. Well, why don't you tell me uh, a little bit more about that? No, that's okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Scorched Water Podcast. I'm Jared. And this is the Big Floppy Noodle, Michael. (laughs) And the only thing we like more than eating food is talking about food. So, ramen... First of all, we made the decision really early on to have ramen be our first episode of the show, and I think we did because it was something where it's a dish that's important to you, I think. Very much so. And uh, it's a dish that I have eaten, Uh, so on that level, like, it it worked. Just about everybody knows ramen in one form or another. That's what's interesting to me, and I I said this in uh, the video that we're going to pair with this, but, you know, ramen kind of winds up on, on... two ends of a, a, a cultural lexicon where it can be like cheap garbage food, but it can also be like very high end. And that's something that I think is kind of just only happened fairly recently. But let me take you back in time here. Come back with me, Michael, uh, to, um, I don't even know what... The past. I, come back with me to the 1600s, where a man is walking uh, down a busy market street, carrying a large pot of noodles, and he bumps into another man who's carrying a large pot of braised pork, delicious braised pork, and the pork falls into the noodles, and b- kabam, ramen is born. What's uh, what's your source on this? That's, I mean, I got that one. Uh, I got that one from my from my mind. But we did do a little bit of research because I thought one of the things that might be interesting to talk about is is the history of ramen and how it came from being, um, you know, it, it goes through phases basically. Like ramen starts out the way the the way that we prepared it and the way that we're going to talk about it, and then it becomes a not fast food. What is the term for it? You know, I'd almost call it a fast food. I've even heard Japanese people describe it as, before we had McDonald's, we ate ramen as a quick, easy lunch. Okay, and actually there is some interesting stuff to talk about there that we'll we'll circle back to. But then it goes back again, and so now we're having this like renaissance in the U.S. where we have like these high-end ramen chains and something that... It's just, like I said, there's this dichotomy where you could pay 99 cents for it at the grocery store, mm. or you could go pay 12.99 for it uh, for for a bowl of it at uh, you know at your local uh, ramen joint, which we'll we'll get into those too. But as far as I can tell, ramen dates back far enough that there's there's actually kind of a lot of wiggle room to to argue about where it comes from. So there's a guy named George Solt. He wrote an entire book about ramen. It's called The Untold History of Ramen. You can go find it on Amazon or wherever. Uh, but basically, in his research, he's found that you can generally trace the uh, adaptation of Chinese wheat noodles, which is what ramen more or less is. Not necessarily wheat. Well. No, they're always wheat. No, yeah, I guess I guess it always is wheat. The characters for ramen originally mean just pulled noodles. And I've had Chinese ramen in ways, a couple different ways, and it's they never feel even remotely like the ramen that we know today. So it's a dish that's obviously gone through a lot of adaptation change since its uh, since its inception. So historically, the first time that you can find ramen, so again, ramen or, or originates in China. Mm-hmm. It is introduced to Japan in about 1660. That's the first time that we can find written documentation saying, "Hey, 
Uh, this is this is the dish that someone was enjoying in Japan. It was introduced by a Confucianist scholar and political refugee. His name was I'm gonna fuck this up. It was Zhu Shen Shui. I'd say Zhu Shen Shui. Zhu Shen Shui. But that's also a guess. Uh, and so. So Dick. I believe I believe Zhushan Shui or whatever was a political advisor to uh, who I'm told is a legendary feudal lord named Tokugawa Mitsukuni. Very good. Nice did, did I get that about right? Yeah, it was spot on. It was Toshiba Mitsubishi, and uh, less correct. Less correct. He so this guy came and he's like, "Hey, try these noodles." And this feudal lord is like, "Oh, I love these noodles." That part is not in the book, but I'm a, I'm guessing. He probably didn't say, I hate these noodles, have this man killed. I'm guessing it played out exactly like that. So that's one version, basically, is in 1660, there's a political advisor. He comes to the feudal lord. He says, here's the noodles. There's a whole other secondary version of this story where, again, a lot of this depends on when does the dish become ramen the way that we know it today. Mm. And so there's another very good origin story that takes place in 1854. So it's almost 200 years later. And basically, in 1854, that is when Japan's seaports very first opened for trade. And that increased trading in the country, and it gave the country access to a variety of foods that it did not have access to uh, prior to this. Most notably, I would say, is the noble pig, uh, which is uh, the something... The tasty pig. The tasty pig. The noble and tasty and, and delicious pig. So when the ports opened, Chinese traders would migrate to the treaty ports, and then they would prepare, uh, they call it nankin, nankin, nankin? Hmm? Nan- nanjing or nanking. Nanking. Like. So nanking soba or nanjing noodles. I don't know what the significance is. I guess that was China's capital, nanjing. I believe it was the time, yeah. It was the, uh, the, the a long time capital. ago. So they would prepare these noodles uh, while living in like the trade ports. And so if you wanted to, you could go down and, and I, I presume get a, get a bowl of this, uh, this dish. So I'm not basing this off any scholarly research, but just off the hip, this sounds like the more authentic version because the thing you have to understand about Japan up until this point was that they were traditionally not a meat-eating society. A combination of like local traditions and Buddhist precepts said, like, we don't eat animals, so they didn't eat beef, pork, chicken in reality they actually did but in very small portions so up until this point they mostly ate fish and uh you know some fowl but uh so to make to make a dish that was out of you know stewed pork bones or even stewed you know animal bones would have been a bit of a what's the word for it um and not not like not like delicacy i'm trying no the opposite of delicacy yeah 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 (laughs) I, I don't know. It's, it's slum food. <laughs> <laughs> there would have been a stigma around that kind of thing. Sure, so. yeah. Yeah, it, it's not... Uh, it's basically like... Um, it's like eating horse. Yeah, yeah. Or dog. Or dog, yeah. Yeah, sure. all those tasty meats. Yeah, it's kind of a, just like the, the noble dog. <laughs> is... So, around this time when the country was opened up to foreign trade, this is when the Japanese started considering other meats, like the Imperate beef around this time for... It was a very publicized event. So I'm thinking this would make sense as more of a time when they started looking at those kind of animals as a source of food. It's kind of like when our president ate mustard, and we all saw that on the news. Yes, very exciting times. Holy hell, I can't believe it. Look at him eating that mustard. (laughs) (laughs) So that's there's there's actually so i have three origin stories here and it's really up to you to decide which one is is true me or the listener well i anybody uh anybody who hears this so you that's the thing about ramen 
is you get to decide. Listen to your heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close your eyes. Hold, uh, hold whatever crystals you have nearby and feel their energy uh, fill you. And then decide which of these origin stories is the true one. That's and, how we decide facts these days. And like I said, it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a ships of Theseus thing where the dish exists and it changes over time. And at what point does it actually become ramen the way that you think about ramen today? And I feel like for everybody that's different because I, I said this in the video, but to me, ramen is noodles. Mm-hmm. And to you, I don't know that it's as much noodles. Like it, that's an important component, but it's more of the composed dish, like the noodles. The noodles are important because if you ever had a ramen made with uh, without ramen noodles, it doesn't feel right. Sure. That said, if it didn't have the soup, if it didn't have the slices of braised pork and the, the seaweed and whatnot, it'd be a very different dish to me. Right. So our last origin story takes place in 1910, not very long ago. Uh, and this is when I think we have our first like dedicated ramen shop open up. Uh, not even necessarily a ramen shop, but a, a restaurant offering the dish formally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Rai Rai Ken. I think I said that right. Pretty nice. Uh, and so that, that restaurant opened up and offered the soup uh, suggested from the 1800s, but with the addition of uh, soy sauce and toppings such as roast pork. So that was where soy sauce first like came into the mix there, I think. So, again, depending on what you think of as being ramen, it could be something that was invented in 1854. It could be something that was created around 1660. It's up to you. It depends on how far back you want to interpret it. Obviously, the the Chinese are generally regarded to be the first to invent noodles. So, it could be something as as ancient as, you know, primitive civilization. Sure, yeah. I mean, we've been making noodles for for a long time. Hundreds of years. And again, like depending on how you qualified that dish, um, there's a a lot of different ways uh, or or a lot of different places where you could uh, speculate that it came from. So it's one of those things where historically, I think if you were a scholar, a literary scholar or something like that, it would be very difficult for you to go back and and figure out where it came from. And uh, that's just the best that we can do. So now... On the modern side of things, it's very easy to figure out where ramen comes from because to the American sensibilities, the very first time I thought about ramen, probably the very first time you thought about ramen, absolutely, just about the first time anybody thought about ramen uh, in the U.S. was when they very first had prepackaged or, or uh, instant uh, ramen. So, mate, quick question for you. Sure. Do you remember the time before instant noodles were available? Well, so, I mean, the noodles themselves have been around since the 50s. Uh, sure, but available but, here in the States. Right, right, right. Because this was, I remember the first time we saw ramen in a store. Like, this was a, like, whoa, what is this? Some of that might be, like, where you grew up. I feel like... And I like... think that's probably the case, is that this is something that's probably around well before I was around. But it didn't wake its way to Bozeman, Montana until, say, 1992. So, like, I feel like I had access to it. I feel like maybe before then, but I could be wrong. It's something where I remember going to, um, uh, going to like, uh, not daycare, but like we had a, we had a lady who watched us when I was very little Mm. and I remember her making it. So like, and, and those are like, really, those are like early, early memories for me. Yeah. 
I don't know if I could put a, a nail on the years uh, where it was there, but like I remember her preparing it, and that was probably the first place where I had it. Interesting. And uh, but I mean, it's been a staple ever since. So so the dish itself has existed since uh, officially 1958. And in 1958, the founder of uh, now I'm not going to say this right. Is it Nissen or Nissen? Nishin. Nishin. Uh, so Nishin Foods, who very famously makes the uh, cup of noodles, uh, that's their brand. Mm-hmm. His name was uh, Momofuku Ando. Hey, very good. And uh, he basically invented what we now today know as the instant ramen noodle. And he basically figured out the, the, the way that they make instant ramen, if you've ever wondered, if you've ever been curious, is they, uh, they cook the noodles, they prepare them, they cook them, and then they flash fry the noodle. And that creates kind of that hard texture. So when you open up a pack of ramen, um, that is cooked. Like it's already, it's already been cooked. All you're doing when you uh, put it in water and, and rehydrate it is exactly that. You're just rehydrating right. a, a cooked product. Um, it's perfectly safe for you to open the box and eat the noodles. Though not especially classy. I have uh, a random, totally off-the-cuff fact that I can give you. Oh, I shouldn't say fact because I haven't actually checked this. I was reading the other day about... Speculation and hearsay. Uh, I was reading the other day about cookie dough and um, why eating raw cookie dough is bad for you. And people were saying that it's not actually raw eggs which is always what we attribute it to Mm -hmm. it's the raw flour where i don't i need to maybe look this up because the face you're making says that you haven't heard this either no but i'm open to it but i guess apparently that that's the bigger problem isn't necessarily the eggs but but the raw flour that you have potential to uh to get sick off or that can carry uh a disease I don't know. But what I'm getting at is when I say like it's safe to eat because people might be like, well, why wouldn't it be safe? Uh, well, if if raw flour is a problem, that could be that could be why. Right. Or your your house might fall down while you're eating it. You might die. Right. There's a whole bunch of things that could go wrong. You should always be living in fear. The the point is, is that instant ramen has been flash fried. So whatever horrible uh, diseases wait for you in raw flour. And I'll I'll look that up more. We'll talk about that more some other day. Okay. But whatever whatever evil bacteria lives in there is presumably gone. Uh, by the time you get it. So if you've ever really uh, really slummed it. And you know, broken up a bag of uh, of instant ramen and just and just uh, snacked on it. It's shameful, yes, but it it shouldn't be risky in any way. You know, in Japan, you can buy a little like Lay's potato chip bag size package of just freeze dried ramen or uh, flash fried fried ramen that you eat like chips. Yeah, um, and those people live forever. So when uh, when ramen's very first invented, or, or rather when instant ramen is very first invented in in the fifties, uh, it was sold for thirty five yen, which I'm told back then is a lot. That's uh, roughly about thirty five cents, which well, I feel like I can go buy instant ramen for right now. So so it must have been expensive back then because everything I've read about it says initially due to its price, uh, they the original brand, the very first brand was called Chicken, spelled incorrectly, Chicken Ramen, Chicken, C H I K I N. Yeah, chicken. That's just the the Japanese uh, romanization. Or so that was the very first name that they operate under, and everybody pretty much acknowledges that when it first came out, it was uh, a luxury item. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, that must mean thirty five yen was was notable that in the probably 50s. would have been a pretty pretty sizable amount of money for a bowl of noodles. I assume at that point, I mean, they're only what like maybe like fifteen years out of World War Two. Fifteen years out of the war, and keep in mind this time the Japanese were still. 
well, I don't know about in the 50s, but it was not the uh, the opulent time that would come to define modern Japan in, in you know a couple of decades. Uh, people were eating a lot of bread then because flour was available, but traditionally, you know, they weren't accustomed to bread. Noodles were more what they were were used to with uh, with udon and soba. So um, it was seen as still something kind of a it was a more familiar dish. So. Right. It was a luxury item. So in the 40s and 50s, it's kind of more of a rebuilding period for Japan. This is when um, people like, um, ah, what is his name? Uh, I'm not going to think of it, so it it, uh, it won't matter. Um, oh, good, no. Good poll there. Ooh, yeah, I really nailed it. No, wait, wait, wait. You'll be impressed here. I'll go back and change this. Uh <laughs> So the, the the 40s and 50s are largely a rebuilding period for Japan. This is when people like uh, W. Edwards Deming ah. goes to Japan. He revitalizes their auto industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes and, and uh, helps like Toyota and, and major Japanese companies that, that you know of uh, today, like Nippon Steel. And um, well, you probably don't think of Nippon Steel as a household name, but... Not anymore. Not, not, not so much. But the, the point is, is that... That leads way to the large revitalization and and like the eighties, which are as you said, like a an opulent time. The for economic Japan. miracle, right? Yeah, exactly. They're they're rich in bucks, but in the fifties, that instant ramen is looking pretty luxurious. I take it back. That was a pretty good pull. So see, I told you, when it comes out in the in the fifties, the the statistic that I have here is basically for thirty five yen. Uh, a Japanese grocery store would sell fresh noodles for a sixth of that price. Mm-hmm. So whatever a sixth of 35 is. And this isn't a math podcast, thank fucking God, because uh, I don't know what that number is. But it must have been very small. I see you thinking about it. Can you do it? Can you do it? Seven to eight yen, I think. I, maybe. I don't know. That's the that's the best part is you could have said any number and I would have been like, sure, yeah. But did it have the luxurious sodium soup? Mm, that's a good question yeah that's right i don't know uh, and i don't know what's in like the flavor packet i did no research uh really beyond this very good stuff don't worry so one of the things that's interesting in japan i think is japan is very oriented towards having regional varieties of food and i think that's not unique to ramen that just seems to be kind of how they are in general like you go mm. to you go to this place in japan and i guess in america we have that too like you go to uh, you go to Boston to get seafood and to get clam chowder, mm. but you go to Texas to get like barbecue or... It's still very pronounced in a way that I think the United States has lost, but yes, exactly. It's, it, you know, just local places have their local specialties and, uh, you know, certain places are known for their specialty foods. Mm-hmm. And so I listed out a couple of the regional uh, kind of varieties of ramen, uh, and I don't know if there's any in here that, that aren't, uh, that I didn't list that, uh, that you want to mention, but... In the northern side of the country, uh, in uh, like Sapporo, they're famous for their miso ramen, mm. which I'm quite fond of, uh, partially because it's so easy to make, uh, especially compared to what we did. So we, we did a tonkatsu ramen, which I think is probably more preve- uh, prevalent in the southern... That's uh, a Kyushu or Hakata specialty, but... Right. Yeah, miso ramen is very easy. It's actually the first ramen that I fell in love with. It's uh, very very savory it's a uh, great so along with the uh along with kind of the stock base of the ramen there's also of course always your toppings which are equally important and specifically in Sapporo they call out uh butter which mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like pats of butter yep it's just a pat of butter thrown right on the top you mix it in 
Oh, that actually sounds pretty good. Yeah, uh, and then corn fine. as well mm. is is a, a regional uh, kind of thing there. So if you wanted to make miso ramen, I don't even really think you'd need a recipe. Get your noodles, uh, make almost like a miso soup, basically, much, yep. and then just put your ramen noodles in there and open up a can of corn and dump that over there and then slice a couple of things of butter and voila, uh, you have yourself some authentic Sapporo ramen. You're going to like it more than you think you would. No, yeah, I I can already imagine it. I haven't even tasted it and I'm, I'm pretty confident. I mean, I've had miso ramen. I haven't, pre- I haven't ever had it prepared like that, though. Uh, so I would be curious to try it. You'll like it. You like it a lot. Now in Tokyo, if you come down a little further south, things change a little bit. Uh, the ramen broth is flavored a little more with soy sauce, uh, mm-hmm. so you'll find generally much darker uh, soups. In fact, we went uh, to a place where where was that? Where we had like really dark. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Like almost like a burnt kind of color. Yeah, that 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 was pretty non-standard. Like that was the first time I've seen anything like that. But where were we? Do you remember where that was? We we're in Kyoto. Oh, okay, it was in yeah. Kyoto. I liked that a lot. It was good. I would actually say it's probably the the least impressive ramen we had while we were there, but I mean, it's a little up for debate. But sure. Uh, but nonetheless, I I enjoyed that uh, quite a bit. I did also list uh, Yokohama, which is uh, a place that has another soy flavored pork broth. Uh, they list theirs as being similar to tonkatsu, which again is, or, or I'm sorry, I said tonkatsu. You're already, you're already doing it. Yep, yep. Uh, tonkotsu. Tonkotsu. So yep. we made tonkotsu. Delicious That's right. tonkotsu. The process for making ramen is well, pretty well documented, I think, in the companion video uh, that we're going to put up to, to go alongside this. So if you haven't already, go to our YouTube, uh, watch the video, and you can see... Not specific instructions on how to make it, but we gave kind of a high-level overview. You can see some little snippets of of how it all came together, and I think you could probably... We even shared all the recipes in Mm -hmm. the video description, so if you wanted to do exactly what we did, you could very easily do that. It was a huge pain in the ass, but I would say, if only once, it's worth it just to kind of see how the whole process works. Yeah, and actually, I I don't think I mentioned this in the video, but one thing that did happen is, yes, it was a pain in the ass to make, but it also left us with a pretty significant amount of leftover broth. Mm. Uh, So I think you took some home, and and I've got some too. Uh, So I could make, you know, pretty legit, authentic uh, ramen right now if if I was so inclined. I could have myself a little bowl. Now, I've written a lot about uh, the process of making the noodles. And it's probably the thing that I've researched the most because it's it's maybe the most irregular thing in the process. Making the stock, that's pretty much how you make stock. I mean, there's there's things that you do in in uh, the recipe that we use that are, that are non-standard, but more or less, like if you were going to make a, a, a pork broth, hmm. we didn't do anything super crazy. Right. We, we put everything in a pot and we simmered it for, what a was day. it, 18 hours? Yeah. Something like that. Um. So the two really unique things that we did are we did the tare, tare being uh, kind of a, a uh, what's the word that you'd use here? In, it's a savory soy-based sauce um, made from effectively chicken extract. Right, yeah. And uh, so th- that's a unique thing in, in the process. Uh, but then the noodles, the big thing that you do with them is, is you have to treat them with something to change their, uh, their uh, acidity. Uh, to change the level of pH in in the noodles, basically. And again, I've already talked about this in in, in pretty good detail, but I just wanted to mention because I I read a lot of articles about it. I've done a ton of research into how to do it. 
there are so many options. Uh, you can go to your Asian grocer and you can buy uh, Kansui, which is basically, and, and don't be shy about Kansui if you see it in the store because most of them label it as lye water. And I don't know about you, but like when people say lye, I think that's like for dissolving bodies. Right, right. Isn't that what you put on like a, a body? It's not for delicious meals. Yeah, it doesn't look like something that you should uh, drink or eat or anything like that. And lye water does not sound particularly appetizing, but there's really nothing super wrong with it. Here I, we are after the fact, alive and well. Yeah. It's been okay. We survived it. Uh, I only got significant burns down my throat, but other than that, I'm fine. The doctor thinks they'll be able to recreate that trachea just fine. Yeah, so far they've done a good job. Um, now... The thing about it is, is I, I've talked to multiple people about this and told them what we were doing, told them what the process is, and they all have the same reaction, which is, which is like, that's crazy. Like, you, that doesn't sound like something you should do. When I ordered the uh, the salts that we used, they came, like, to my office, and people saw them and were like, what are you going to do with these? Because, like, on the labels, they're like, don't, you know, don't do crazy stuff with this. And uh, we did crazy stuff with it. The thing is, is that what you have to Rebels. what you have to understand is that there's a lot of things that you eat all the time where uh, they're treated with some kind of alkaline solution to change the pH level. I I listed out an example here. So uh, corn tortillas, that's where they get kind of <laughs> that. You know how corn tortillas have kind of that like rubbery sort of texture. A little chewy, too? yeah. Yeah, there there's a little kind of toothsomeness to corn tortillas that. Flour really, is that what that have. is? Yep, that's exactly what it is. Interesting. Uh, hot chocolate actually has its uh, pH level uh, adjusted hmm. typically. And and hot chocolate actually so I'll lump that in with Oreos. Oreos are uh, are treated with uh, pH salts uh, or, or alkaline salts. And the reason why is not necessarily that they're specifically done for the Oreos, but Oreos use Dutch processed cocoa, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what Dutch processed cocoa is. Uh. So if you've ever heard of Dutch processed cocoa, it's exactly like regular cocoa powder, except they do something to it to manipulate the uh, pH level of it. And uh, uh, is it raise it? Did I have that right? Raising pH is more alkaline. Lowering pH is more acid. One or the other. I think I got that. It's not a science. It's not a fucking science podcast. That's right. So shut, shut it off if you wanted to hear science. The earth is flat. Uh, yeah, that too. Pretzels have this happen. And also cured olives apparently uh, go through this treatment as well. I'm, I'm sure there's more stuff that I'm not thinking of. Uh, or that I didn't uh, think was worth listing. But there's a there's a very long list of foods where this is a normal practice. And it's definitely the most unique thing about making ramen noodles. Uh, it's probably the thing that will feel the most foreign to you when you attempt to do it. Um, having said that, for, for us at least, I think it produced a pretty, pretty nice result. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was... Um, I don't know is that I've ever had handmade ramen prior to this. And I've eaten a lot of ramen, but... Um, well, you've had hand. I mean, you lived in Japan. Yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly couldn't tell you whether or not I've ever eaten at a place that does it in house. Well, that's actually interesting because um, so we took the noodle recipe from uh, David Chang, who mm. runs uh, Momofuku, which Momofuku is of course named after uh, Momofuku Ando, who is the inventor of instant noodles. Aye. Uh, David Chang in his book, uh, where we got the recipe from. There's a whole chapter 
where he talks pretty extensively about so he basically leads everything off with he, he he's very candid with his uh, restaurant's history and stuff like that and he he talks about how when they very first opened Momofuku they didn't make their own noodles uh, they had a supplier who was uh, just in New York City who they they purchased pre-made noodles from so they opened a ramen shop where they literally didn't make their own ramen mm-hmm. noodles. Uh, and then when they started making their own noodles, uh, people didn't like them. They, they weren't doing them in a, in a way that people dug. And so they, they spent a long time crafting the recipe that we ended up using. And um, it, it, was, it was good for sure. Uh, but it's just interesting to me because like what you're saying, where like, oh, I've, I've lived in Japan, I've been to all these ramen places. I don't know if I've ever actually had real handmade noodles and even if you went to like this upscale new york place like you might not have right i mean i i've like i said i've eaten at hundreds if not thousands of ramen shops i would expect most of them if not all of them probably had their noodles sent in from a from a manufacturing plant um the thing to keep in mind is that until even recently in japan i think ramen has not been a traditionally very fancy dish it's something that's a quick easy lunch that's uh, filling and satisfying for guy on the go so you don't need to put a lot of effort into certain aspects of it. Sure, there's a lot of effort put into the soup, the pork, but the noodles themselves are pretty much just a simple starch that you know just complements the dish. And on top of that, if you get a an instant or not instant, but like a um, a prepackaged noodle from like your little Chinese market, it's generally pretty close to the real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and uh, that th- I guess that that was kind of what what David Chang was getting at is like. He could do it, but like, why? Uh, because the the stuff that he was getting was just fine. Like, yeah, exactly. It was, it was perfectly acceptable, and and I think that's a big takeaway for me with this is if you're thinking of making ramen at home and you're not sure if you want to put in the effort for the noodles, you totally don't have to. I think you could get frozen noodles at, at the store mm-hmm. and more or less get yourself the the same experience or a very similar experience. I'd say it's worth doing it just once because it was. Kind of an enlightening process just to see, like, one, how it's done, but also kind of taste what the uh, the real handmade thing was like. That said, at the same time, it tasted very similar to a, you know, frozen package you'd get from the Chinese market. There's a phenomenon in cooking that I've experienced more than once. Uh, a good example is making uh, condensed milk. Uh, I, I did that for the first time pretty recently, and that's normally something where you just buy the can of it mm. and call it a day. I made my own, and for, I can't remember how long it was. I would say it's about a 45-minute process. For maybe even 35 minutes there, maybe even even 40 minutes of the 45, you're basically just stirring milk. Hmm. Uh, And nothing happens, and nothing feels any different. You're just stirring some milk. And then all of a sudden, in the last five minutes or so, it just changes completely and comes together and becomes literally like condensed milk it, it thickens up out of nowhere it just kind of happens and i felt a similar phenomenon with the ramen noodles where you know we kind of just started out just stirring this flour and just out of nowhere suddenly it became this super elastic springy uh dough uh that you're that you're not expecting like it, it one we we again have talked about this in the video but like for a little while it didn't even look like it was going to come together Mm -hmm. and then just suddenly it did uh kind of out of nowhere so it's kind of interesting to experience that that's a fun thing to like see to have that scary moment of being like i don't think this is gonna work 
and then have it work there's there's some satisfaction in that and, absolutely and so it's a it was a good experience and i don't know if i would I would probably do it again, but I would do it again solely because I have those alkaline salts and I don't know what else I'm <laughs> going to use them for. And I have two gigantic bags of it. And I think one, I think the recipe that we used used an eighth of a uh, teaspoon. We're going to have alkalines for a while. Where the fuck am I going to use uh, the rest of that? Like, that's going to last me. That's a lifetime supply. So if you buy those but- salts, you'll look at them and be like, 30 bucks for two bags of salt? that's a that that'll last you'll pass that down to your grandchildren like they'll be using that salt i also think if it were me and i was doing it again or i was aiming to do this at home i probably wouldn't buy the salts i'd probably go get the the consui i'd go get the water i i yeah. feel like you would be saddled with I, I think it's cheaper if you can get it locally in an asian market mm. i think i think that's probably just like a couple bucks and you're not going to be stuck with this ingredient for, like I said, the rest of your living life. We're going to have to figure out a lot of things to change the pH on. Uh, I would like to make moon cakes. We'll so do that, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a goal. That's so that's a, another eighth of a tablespoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That should, that should take care of it. We'll be, we'll be set. Um, so we're going to make a lot of moon cakes, like a ridiculous... I guess we could make Oreo cookies. There you go. That sounds like a good project. Yeah, why not? Uh, we'll, we'll take a stab at that. But uh, but yeah, I really liked it. Uh, and actually, so let's let's back up a little bit. So obviously, I feel like it's implied at this point. We we haven't explicitly said it. You lived in Japan. I did. Yes. For uh, a pretty extended period of time. Most people know that because you won't shut the fuck up about it. I know. I'm yeah. insufferable. Every time I introduce you, I say, hey, this is my friend Michael, and they're like, I lived in Japan. Did you know that? <laughs> and uh, or or sometimes he does this thing where he. Uh, he'll 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 say like uh, you know arigato gozaimasu or something instead of thank you, uh, right right or whatever else they say in Japan. That was about all I picked up. When I get my Taco Bell or when I uh, go to the bank. Right right right. You just kind of assume. Or if he uh, the the really bad thing that he does is if he sees anybody who looks Asian, he just talks to him in Japanese. Yes. Uh, so it's very inconsiderate, but it is what it is. I'm a bad person. Tell me a little bit about your like kind of personal experiences with ramen while you were there. Uh, so like most of you, I grew up eating instant ramen as a, uh, kind of latchkey kid food. You know, it's just something you have around when you're, when you're hungry. I made my first, uh, actual visit to Japan. I went to Hokkaido, uh, in 2005 and I tried ramen for the first, like real ramen, real Sapporo ramen for the first time. And it's, um, at this age, it sounds almost silly, but, uh, it was kind of like an awakening moment. Like, I didn't know noodles could taste that good. And uh, in a lot of ways, it actually kind of influenced, one, my decision to, like, want to live there and know more about the food. But uh, it also kind of actually kicked off a love with other pastas, like spaghettis and uh, just, you know, noodle dishes from around the world, getting to a better understanding of how good they could be and how much nuance goes into the difference between, like, a spaghetti and a bucatini and things like that. So... But then, yeah, I lived in Japan for about three years, and I ate uh, just about every noodle that I get my hands on. At the end of the day, ramen is still probably my favorite. So, a couple questions that I have. Okay. Uh, obviously, the, the way that you see ramen a lot of times in Japan is like the stand, kind of. Sure. Uh, so, is that pretty traditional to to literally stand while you eat the ramen, like to walk up to the... Because we, we did that... Uh, well, we did it once, but I know I saw it more than once where mm. there were these places serving it where you could literally go up and they'd, they'd spoon up your soup and you, you literally, yep. there, were, there weren't even chairs. Like you just stood at the counter and, and ate it really quickly and then kind of moved on. 
So the uh, the tachi kui or the uh, you know stand and eat type places they're a little more rare these days. I think they used to be more of a standard back in the days of uh, just when it was a very straightforward like this is a place you go to get a quick meal kind of fast food type thing. Um, these days, obviously, there are much fancier, more you know refined versions of ramen you can get even in Japan, but it is still very much a you know. Not working class necessarily, but it has very humble origins. And people still enjoy it as like a you know three dollar bowl meal that you can eat uh, for you know your fifteen minute lunch. It's almost like this is this is going to sound kind of fucked up. Um, it's kind of like like a like a Jimmy John's. Like the gimmick at Jimmy John's is that you go in and after Freaky he's fast. after the owner is done killing the lion <laughs> in Africa, he'll make your sandwich so quick. Like you. No, absolutely. It's definitely a. F- I mean, it was originally just a quick, fast food that you could, the store or the shop owner could dish out a hundred bowls in thirty minutes. And so, imagine, dear listener, a Jimmy John's where you go in and you order your sandwich, and they hand it to you, and then you eat it right there at the <laughs> counter in front of them. And that's basically what the ramen experience in Japan is like. It's exactly the same, pretty much. But at the same time, it does scale to fancier ingredients, more elegant shops. You know. You can definitely spend a lot of money on a nice bowl of ramen in Japan, just like you can here for a not-so-nice bowl of ramen. I mean, and, and by that same token, like, my favorite one that I had when we were there was not in a place that was, like, a ramen place. Um, it was a Chinese restaurant, and that's the thing, is Chinese restaurants in Japan are kind of where ramen became a staple food. Is uh, Again, it was it was before they had McDonald's. You went to a Chinese restaurant for a quick lunch, or, you know, a single man eats there every day type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had a, we had a couple of really good ones. So I asked you this earlier and you didn't mm-hmm. have an answer. I don't know if you've had some time to think about it. If you were, if, if I, me was going to Japan, Jared, uh, by myself and I wanted to try ramen and I only had one shot at it. Like I'm going to be there. I'm going to be in Japan. I got a layover in Japan <laughs> for 24 hours. Where should I go to get like the, where should I go? Or maybe more importantly, what should I order to get like, the overall idea to get like the most gen- general sense of the dish that I can. Do you think that we did it by doing tonkotsu? Do you think that is like the qu- like quintessential ramen in your head, or what's the best I could do? I know it's a compromise no matter what because you're sure. you're gonna have something that or you're gonna miss a lot of other great things. But like, what would what would your move be? All right, so I'm gonna give you two answers. Um, I would say probably when you ask most Japanese people. Tonkotsu is probably the most beloved across the whole continent, or country. It's a country. Eh, well, um, it's an island. You know, I mean, had the war gone differently, maybe it would have been a continent. <laughs> sure, they could have been upgraded. Uh, regional varieties aside, like pretty much everywhere in Japan, you can get Tonkotsu ramen. Everybody loves it. The chain I might recommend is one called Ichiran, which is, uh, I think they even guess shops outside of the out of Japan these days, but... Uh, they're kind of famous for counter seating, but each seat is almost like a little booth where you have walls on each side, so nobody can watch you eating. But they do a they do a tonkotsu. It's um, may not be probably my favorite. My favorite is probably Kinryu Ramen in Osaka, but that's kind of a local choice. That said, you know if I were to say like if you want to get the real like working class, like this is what Japanese people have been eating for years. I might recommend going to a Japanese Chinese or a, a, a Chinese restaurant in Japan. Uh, my recommendation would be Gyoza no Osho, which is a Chinese restaurant that's located throughout uh, the country. It's famous for its uh, its you know pan fried uh, potsticker dumplings. We we went there, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. I we remember did. that place. Yeah, um, 
Their ramen is not fancy. It's generally, you know, pretty straightforward. Just soup, noodles, a slice of pork, uh, maybe some some uh, preserved uh, bamboo shoots on top. Nothing fancy, but uh, it it's very much like the traditional Chinese Japanese food experience. And boy, every everything on that menu is good. But their ramen is this is this last time especially not having had it for a while. It's uh, it's pretty special. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. So when you're in Japan. You've got your you've got your strategy now. Uh, so. Either Ichiran for kind of the fancy experience, or Osho for the really down home experience. You're definitely going to find both of those. You're going to definitely be able to type those into the Google Maps. They're going to come right up. Jared will put it into the links. <laughs> Jared, you can type that up for me, right? I don't know if this page is going to have a link, but but sure, I'll I'll find a way to figure that out. So we'll, don't worry, dear listener, we'll get you to the good ramen. We, we we will now. But hold on a second, because let's say you're not going to Japan. Let's say you're just sitting in I don't know, maybe a horrifying landlocked state like uh, maybe Utah. Um, if Interesting. You were, if you were doing that. Do you got any uh, Do you got any strategies, any moves as far as getting good ramen here? Because here's the thing: you're going to be more the guy that I would ask than than uh, than anybody else. Well, anybody else who's in this room, at least. Sure, which I is, wouldn't. Which is the two of us? I wouldn't ask anybody else in this room uh, who to get good ramen from. But where since coming back to the states, which okay. by the way, just an aside. Um, We'll we'll probably do like a sushi episode sometime. But sure. One of my favorite things about Michael is by extension of living in Japan, he's gotten a little hoity toity about what is sushi, what is ramen. What uh, I'm is, very hoity toity. What Let's... are tires? What is a car? <laughs> and uh, you know, one of the things that that you can really horrify him with is American good American sushi. Like I'm talking like a piece of fish rolled in mayonnaise and deep fried. Uh, maybe not even fish. Yeah, probably not a fish. I guess maybe right. maybe a like chicken, a hot dog. A chicken nugget wrapped. <laughs> a chicken nugget wrapped around a hot dog, uh, rolled in uh, rolled in seaweed, uh, and then deep fried uh, with 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 uh, rice around it, and then sriracha you know, on top. Just, yeah, the sriracha, may, maybe a little bit of like roe on top, some kind of some kind of roe, just to just to bring it back. Sure, just to take bring, it back to Asia, bring it back to the motherland. Um, <laughs> But the point is, is that he's 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 very fun there. So my I guess what I'm getting at is Michael is a very authentic individual. Uh, he's he's horrified by American sushi, uh, as as most Japanese people probably. I wouldn't say they're horrified. I think they probably see it and are like, "Oh, this is hilarious." Yeah, yeah, it's funny to them. Uh, um, but what you think is sushi is is not sushi, basically. Um, uh, but having said that, I think what you think of as ramen is probably not that far off from ramen. Uh, so if you Not were, a lot of cases, yeah. If you were guiding me, if if I didn't want to get good ramen, but I wanted to eat good ramen, uh, where should I go? So if you're here in Salt Lake City, uh, we've actually we're fortunate enough to have actually a couple of good options. So the first one I'd recommend is a, uh, I don't know if it's Tosh or Tosh uh, by the Japanese pronunciation would be Tosh, but that sounds dumb to say Tosh's ramen. So uh, Tosh's ramen down on State Street, they do pretty traditional like no nonsense uh i mean i wouldn't say no nonsense like it's very good ramen the thing that i think they do the best is actually their um uh, tantan men which is actually a version another version of a japanese dish called dandan mian um but in japan it's especially good they do it with like a thick uh, s- uh sesame seed broth it's a little spicy it's really fantastic so i definitely recommend that anything on their menu is actually very good if you want something that's a little bit more localized, 
there's a chain. I think it's actually from is it California or Virginia? Are you thinking of Virginia? Yeah, Virginia. So they're from California. They're from California. Uh, okay. And I still haven't been. My understanding is that it's not. It's it's pretty non traditional. Like I think very they're, they're, very non traditional. I was a little horrified when I walked in there. Like I got a bowl that had like uh, roasted Brussels sprouts in it and things that I would definitely not associate with regular ramen. That said, I ate it and I was actually pretty impressed with everything I had. So I'd say give that a try too. I think I'd build on that too. I think there's two of them now. There's one Are on there? there's one on State Street and like fifty something hundred. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's another one uh, which is also it's not on State. It's on Seventh East, I think. Um, but it's kind of in like the Sugar House area, like really? like like about twenty one hundred South and like Seventh hmm. East. Um, and I still haven't hit up either one of them, uh, but I'd, I'd really like to. I, I've heard I, yeah. good things. Make the trick sometime. It's actually, I was very surprised. Yeah, I'll have to find an excuse for that. Uh, what else you got? Uh, locally, we have uh, Coco's Kitchen, or Coco Kitchen, which has been around, I think, for quite a while now. And I've, they're more of a traditional like Japanese shokudo or like a dining hall. So very home-style uh, Japanese meals like uh, you know fried pork cutlet, a tonkatsu. Or, um, you know, just like a teriyaki bowl. It, it's kind of a mix of um, more westernized ideas of Japanese food and a little bit more regular Japanese food. But uh, they do a ramen bowl, which is, for, for the price, is gigantic, very filling, very tasty. And I'd recommend I'd recommend stopping in there to grab a, a beer and a bowl of noodles or, a, you know, a plate of uh, eel rice. Very mm-hmm. good. Um, and then I'd also like to just maybe give a quick shout out to uh, Sage Market, which is our local Japanese market. Um, they do a very straightforward, um, again, almost kind of like shokudo style, uh, like they do curry rice, uh, gyoza, very simple foods, but their ramen, especially when I first came back to the States and hadn't had Japanese ramen in a long time, like theirs was so on the spot, like just straightforward Chinese restaurant style ramen. It was a really, uh, welcoming, like homecoming to, uh, to the dish and, um, it's it's cheap, it's filling, but it's very good. I'd recommend stopping by there as well. Sage was, I think, probably the first experience that I had with, um, you know, like 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 kind of good ramen uh, as like a dish you order at a restaurant as opposed to something you get out of a, a plastic package. It was, it was basically ramen without top in front of it. Yes, it was, exactly. It was basically the first time I probably had that, and um, I I really enjoyed it, uh, and I I built on it a little bit. I remember we went there. I've been there a couple times. I think I went there like during the lunch hour. They had like uh, um, like bento boxes too. Yeah, they do a couple of different Japanese um, lunch style. Like their bento boxes are very good. Um, they'll do uh, sushi or like, you know, maki rolls and things. And just kind of a, a variety of, uh, you know, uh, home style Japanese cooking meals. Like things you would get from, a, a, you know, not fast food, but a, you know, quick and easy restaurant in Japan. Very satisfying. Their curry is very good. I recommend grabbing a plate of that sometime. Okay, yeah, and and I mean, yeah, like I said, anything's going to be a trade up from from the instant mm. stuff. Having said that, okay, let's take a second here. Instant instant noodles, they're pretty good. They can be. I mean, I I feel jaded enough that it's hard for me to get behind a bowl or a you know cup of noodles. That said, there are still some that are pretty good. Um, Boy, in Japan, you can get a cheese curry cup of noodles that's uh, pretty satisfying on a cold day. I mean, I don't know what persona you want to uh, you want to try and pass off in this podcast, um, but like literally 10 minutes ago, well, not 10 minutes ago, but like an hour ago, we were praising Kraft macaroni and cheese. Sure. And by that same measure, some of those things are good in that same... I like to think that I'm a person who can 
appreciate uh, something that's really well done and and handcrafted and delicious, but at the same time, I I hope that I can maintain the status as a person who can just fucking slum it. And like sometimes, you know, sometimes you just want like some bullshit that came out of a box that hasn't got like anything close to an actual animal's component in it whatsoever. But uh, <laughs> I mean, Top Ramen fits that bill. I'll, let me tell you how I prepared Top Ramen. Um, I, would, I would earlier today. I would come. Yep, earlier today, several minutes ago. <laughs> I would come home from school and I would take the uh, the brick of ramen and I'd put it in a bowl with hot water, like the hottest water that I could get. I wouldn't boil the water. I'd just turn on the faucet and get it as hot as I could. <laughs> As long as the bricks covered were good, and then what I would do is I would take my history book, and I would put that over the bowl and let it just steam, and that was it. That's that's my ramen preparation method. I ate so many bowls of uh, ramen that way. Oh, no, don't get me wrong. I subsisted off a lot of cheap ramen growing up. And uh, it's funny because I don't... I, I failed that history class, <laughs> and I like to think that I probably wouldn't have if I'd ever opened that book, but it really literally just was only a, could have opened it before <laughs> you set it down on the bowl. It was literally just a ramen steaming <laughs> lid, basically. Uh, it had no purpose or use uh, beyond that, and who knows what my future would have held if I'd just done a little better in that history class. You could have been one of those millionaire historians we're always hearing about. Yeah, the guys who uh, I don't know, the guy who wrote that ramen book, the guy who like put in yeah, some, yeah. the guy who put in some actual legwork to learn about the history of ramen, as opposed to me who just came and read what he said and then just told other people that like I thought of it, like hey guys, I heard about this emperor. I don't know if you've heard about him. And now we're rich. I don't know if you've heard about wait, what was his name? Mitsubishi. Uh, where is it? Yeah, yeah, Karate Mitsubishi. Karate Karate Kid. Uh, no, Tokugawa Mitsukuni. Oh, that one, that Tok- one. Tokugawa Mitsukuni, you know him. Well, he was the shogun. You know that old shogun. Everybody knows him. You know, actually, I'm glad you took it back to the uh, the very humble uh, instant noodles because for a long time I was very, uh, you know, turn my nose up at that kind of thing. I went to Hong Kong a couple of years ago and they've got uh, what they call uh, tea restaurants, which are very, you know, quick and easy type, again, home cooking type places. And uh, they do a couple of dishes that use instant, like, when you see instant noodles on a menu, you're like, well, what are they trying to pull here? They'll do it with, like, a, a pan-fried beef or um, a couple of different, like, you know, stewed chicken. Pretty fucking good. So, I'll give credit. You can make that into a very tasty dish if you're willing to, to put a little extra legwork in. Well, so, let me build on that just a tiny bit, sure. which is... You kind of owe the dish's popularity to the instant noodle variety. So when I started Absolutely. when I started talking about doing this, when I told people like, "Hey, we're we're thinking about doing uh, ramen," um, the excitement level is like through the roof, and it's not excitement level because people love like traditional Chinese wheat noodles. Mm-hmm. It's because they fucking love top ramen, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're gonna make that! You're gonna make that in your own house." And uh, that's finally what, a dish on my level. That's what people get excited about. So, like on some level, like yeah, it's kind of slumming it, but at the same time, like it's what has given it the rise that it's experiencing right now. And, and the dish were it not for Nishin, this would be a dish known only to Japan. Exactly, the, the dish owes everything to that. And I think people like David Chang get that, and even going so far as to name their restaurant after the creator of Instant Noodles. Like, it's... As, it's a, as we all, all of us in America instantly resonate with, and it's like, oh, that's the guy. Yeah, exactly. You see Momofuku on a on a restaurant's name, and you're like, fuck, that's the noodle, that's the noodle guy. We 1958, got- Osaka, Japan, Nishin. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. You listen to this, and so now you know that, and now you can take that, 
and you can uh shove it in david chang's face yeah be exactly like, hey buster like, fuck you man uh but yeah those uh those noodles are uh they're they're intrinsically linked they can never be separated i don't think uh it, whatever whatever fancy ramen place you can find whether they know it or not they owe something to the instant noodle that that uh, maybe actually be an interesting question maybe you at home can uh, take a stab at this is there a dish that is as popular or you know has been become more famous due to an instant or easy variety of it like craft macaroni and cheese i was, or? I was gonna say i feel like the obvious answer there is is macaroni and cheese because that's something again where like I don't think I ever had like a nice macro. It's been around forever. Macro, the, the, a right. nice, a nicely prepared like bechamel-based macaroni and cheese with a breadcrumb topping, browned in the oven, delicious. I didn't eat that until I was well past my twenties. <laughs> like I never had anything close to that. Nobody, my my grandma wasn't sprinkling fucking breadcrumbs over the craft recipe. Like that wasn't happening. <laughs> Uh, and so that's another one where like, again, like I love the gourmet version of it, but at the same time, I probably only really like it because I spent so much of my early life eating the, the bullshit version. And so like, yeah, it's all right. So question for you, our solitary listener, what, uh, what dish kind of fits that same, uh, that same profile? Yeah. What, if anybody, what can... would you have not liked had you not been introduced to it as almost like a, you know? Like a garbage food. Yeah, like like ramen has a nostalgia component to it. And so there's there's something fun about taking something that you enjoyed when you were really young, even if you didn't enjoy a very good version of it, and then growing up and then eating like the deluxe version, mm-hmm. like the super good, like, well, oh, hold on. You liked that? Well, wait until you wait until I make it not like garbage. And you're right. like, oh boy. Chicken nugget actually made from a chicken. It, yeah, so like a chicken nugget, as you grow up, that becomes... Um, like none of our food now is shaped like dinosaurs but could it be but <laughs> but could it be and that's our restaurant right there right uh, i want a i want a tyrannosaurus rex shaped piece of pate well no like imagine imagine like a chicken parmesan except it's like a brachiosaurus <laughs> b- but also a delicious chicken parmesan and like his head would get extra crispy because yeah. it's kind of a small see that could that could be us that could be what are we doing wasting our time with this podcast this is, this is, let's go get a small business loan this is stupid nobody's gonna listen we gotta get to the bank <laughs> like asap yeah, we can't release this until the we've actually like secured the loan. We gotta it, be the first. It's a good thing the bank's not open because I could be I could be persuaded. <laughs> I could be I could be talked into it for sure. Any other uh, big thoughts on uh, on this one? We talked about it so much already in the video. And, and by the way, if you haven't, uh, and if it's out because it might take a little bit, I, I think we'll probably release these in stages. But eventually, we'll share the video. Uh, and if you haven't, you can go. There's I, I tried not to talk about the same things, so there's stuff that we didn't say here that we did say in the video, and vice versa. So go check that out. I don't think that that'll be the format that we do every time we do one of these. We do not have that much time. No, that video took a long time to do, and so that's impractical. Like we'll make more videos. Videos, but it's probably not going to be like that um right. but if, like grilled cheeses and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah well oh man well and so again there's another one where like they're shitty versions uh like like just a standard oh, I, I go on a tirade about the gourmet grilled cheese let's uh yeah. let's leave that for another day that's another that's another episode um but yeah if you have any thoughts there tell us about uh tell us about what kind of dish uh you, you know you had that was maybe 
uh, maybe slumming it when you were younger, but is now seen like kind of a gourmet renaissance. Because I'm sure there's, yeah. there's more stuff that we're not thinking of. There has to be. Absolutely. Uh, and I, again, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that on some level. Like, if, if, if uh, as long as you can stay true to your history and acknowledge it, like, you know, gourmet. Or gourmet. don't. Who cares? Yeah, eat, what, eat what you like. What does it matter? Just yeah. shove food in your mouth and, until right. you die. It's no different. All right. Well, hey. Uh, if you enjoy what an outro if you, if you enjoyed this podcast uh, we're gonna put this everywhere so I don't know where you're listening to it right now but there's probably somewhere else you could listen to it go find us I'm hosting this on SoundCloud uh, but we're gonna presumably have this listed on Apple Music we'll have this listed on Google we'll have it listed on Spotify listen to two different versions and see if they're the same yeah play the Spotify one but also play the Google one maybe we said something in one that we didn't say in the other maybe we've been sending subliminal messages to you listen right. to the podcast backwards what does it sound like then is it telling you to kill your family is it telling you to eat noodles I don't know it probably doesn't sound like anything well you won't know unless you find out that's the thing so yeah and plus if you listen to it twice um, I, I don't know that gives us like a second but thank you a second hit. We appreciate it. I suppose. Uh, tell your tell your friends. Subscribe. Like smash smash the subscribe button. Uh, crush the uh, the like button. Um, share. I don't know. Press press the like button. I haven't really figured out what we're gonna do as far as social media goes. So I guess follow us wherever wherever you can follow us. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, but we'll be back, and we'll be back on a predetermined day because I think we still haven't figured out how often we do this either. So we really don't, <laughs> we really don't know anything. As you can tell, we came prepared. What is this? Is this a podcast? This is a podcast. Uh, but thank you for listening. I just showed up here to install gutters. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, we will be back at a at a time, at a point in time. And if you listened uh, this far into it, I feel like you'll probably be there when we when we do one more. So, all right. Uh, I think uh, I think that's a good time for me to hit the stop button. All right. I haven't come up with a better outro than that. I'm just gonna hit. I'm gonna, it's I'm time gonna, to hit the stop. Button. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna press stop right now. Hit. <laughs>